Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here. I serve as the host And we've got a different lineup for you today. Of course, I'm here with my partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. Say hello, my friend. Hello, John. (laughs) And we are here with a new friend, one who's growing more dear as the time goes by, Pastor Phelan Doherty. He is from Derry, Ireland. Hello, Phelan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, John. Hello, Frank. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you so much. uh, Phelan is a pastor, so take a few moments, sir, and... Share with us a bit about your ministry there in Ireland. Yes, so I pastor a church which is part of a movement of churches, quite an old movement called the Apostolic Church, which started in Wales during the Great Welsh Revival in the early 20th century. But I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a large Catholic family in Northern Ireland. So it was quite a convoluted journey to end up where I am. And When I look back, you see, obviously, the hand of God working in various ways. I always think of the little Charlie Brown cartoon where he goes into the forest and fires arrows everywhere and then gets a tin of paint and goes and paints target signs wherever the arrows have landed. So (laughs) I think very often we're very good as Christians at looking back and saying, I did this and then I did that. But it's really by the grace of God, you know. So, yeah, so a long journey. And so now I find myself uh, at at the ripe old age of 60 and I've been pastor of this local church for 20 years, actually, uh, this year. And then I work with some other churches across the movement as well. So quite an interesting job. Okay, Frank, you were raised a Catholic too, if I remember. In fact, all three of us were. So you, we might share some, <laughs> we might share some papal stories as we go through there. Isn't that right? That's for sure. And as we start here, Phelan, I just want to say it's really good to meet you via this avenue of technology. I kind of feel like Job. I had heard of you, but now my eyes see. So it's <laughs> great to great to put some time together with you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Frank. It's it's uh, it's wonderful to get the chance to to chat to you because I I feel from what I've picked up from John and what I've read and heard. There's not that many people who are on the same page. And you had mentioned that a few moments ago, actually. And, you know, just this week, something unusual happened. A lady was speaking to me and she felt God tell her something to share with me. And she mentioned that there had been a railway built between two countries in Europe. I think it was perhaps Italy and Austria over a steep mountain. And the people built this railway track even before there was a train capable of making the journey and she felt really that in some ways just to encourage you by faith <laughs> we're we're walking this out and we're preaching this beautiful gospel perhaps at a time when a lot of people just aren't capable of receiving it but yet a, a way is being made praise god hmm. interesting observation frank i think you can probably echo that to a great degree can't you 
Oh, gosh, John, we started on this journey, as you know, in the late 1980s, and uh, we felt very much like a, uh, we were swimming upstream against a massive torrent of legalism. And as you know, John, as we labored together, we were called false teachers and heretics (laughs) for presenting Christ as life and our relationship with the law being severed through crucifixion, our own crucifixion, so we could be married to him. And we were called a cult. And then it seems, I don't know how it is in, in Ireland, Felon, but here, grace caught on. And grace became a buzzword here in America, and that's what we're experiencing today. We're swimming against another stream, and this is a mighty torrent of grace that we don't hear the name of Jesus. And I wonder if grace isn't replacing Jesus in this country. It's almost a a lifelong swim upstream to present only one person and one way and one life and one truth. And it can be a a difficult journey at times and you can feel very alone. So it's always wonderful to, to hear of another brother who says, I'm swimming upstream with you. (laughs) Yes. I think the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us up into one mind. And so very much so um, we're all growing and, I think it's wonderful. I think when when I first came into the, as it were, the evangelical church, it was almost accepted that you would learn some fundamentals and then you'd never, ever, ever change your mind about anything. <laughs> and so mm. a sign of your maturity would be the fact that you never changed your mind. <laughs> Whereas in fact, <laughs> I believe the apostle Peter says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, do not fall into error, but grow. So absolutely. But that growth, as you say, Frank, has to be growth into the mind of Christ to see, in fact, that is his life and that is it's all really about his life and us, not our life for him. So I find that more and more, I know that the gospel has got a simplicity to it. And there's a childlikeness that we have to walk in to allow our father to be our father and mm-hmm. not simply take the latest doctrine as a, the latest attempt to try and save ourselves by some convoluted way. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I always like someone once said, you're not saved by your belief in a particular theory of the atonement. You're saved by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Oh boy. You just impressed the sore spot with me, Phelan. Being a uh, university professor from my career, not long after I was saved, I began to approach my faith and spiritual things the same way I approached everything else in my life, which was rigorously academically digesting mm-hmm. it down, reading. I mean, I must have 30 feet, linear feet of shelving in, in my uh, office with just commentaries and systematic theology books and the like. And I think I've been through all of them to one degree or another. And mm-hmm. so I thought I had it down. But boy, when Jesus showed up and said, no, it's time to look at things a little bit differently, it was really rather disruptive. Frank, you were there and you watched me crash and burn, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Did you ever tell fella the story of how that all came about? No, go right ahead. Oh, I have the freedom. <laughs> go ahead make me look bad, Friedman. <laughs> no, not at all. It's it's very glorious in a lot of ways. Phelan and I had come down to Baton Rouge. John had visited our church up in Delaware and uh, he didn't much care for me. I was... Oh, I knew so much. If you didn't agree with me, you were wrong, kind of a thing. Very 
doctrinally trained and oriented. And then when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the new covenant, I stood up on a Sunday morning and said, we've been doing it all wrong and we're going to start doing it right. It's about a person, not a, a message or a doctrine. And I think that kept John with us. And then when I went down to Louisiana, one day there was a very loud knock on my office door and said to come in and Terry had tears streaming down her cheeks and he kind of pushed her into the door and said, fix her and walked away. <laughs> and about three weeks later, there was a sheepish knock on the door and it was John and he had tears in his eyes and he said, man, whatever you're doing to her, do to me. <laughs> and then uh, the Holy Spirit was faithful and opened his eyes. And uh, I remember, John, I, I trust you to too. John, when he saw how the flesh works and how the flesh had been very successful, at least in a worldly way, he said, oh my goodness, do I quit being a professor? I've used my mind as my God. And do you remember this, John? I, well, yes. I took him to the Apostle Paul Phelan and I said, what was he like before he met Jesus on that Damascus road? And John said, well, he was a fiery order and a hard charger and a dynamic leader. And and I said, well, what was he like afterwards? And he says, well, he's fiery order and dynamic leader. And I said, oh, yeah, John, just a different power source. <laughs> and you stayed where you were and God used you, took you all over the world, and uh, but with a very different, different John. Yeah. So it was it's an amazing a, story. Yeah. And uh, he's taken us now to a, a, a new friend in Derry Island. So you mentioned, Phelan, that you grew up as a Catholic, but that's a profoundly different perspective than what you deliver now to your body. So how did you come to faith? And then how did you come to really embrace the message of Christ's life? What did that look like for you? Well, I have a friend of mine who once said this, that the Holy Spirit was at work in your life long before you give him permission to be so. Looking back, I, I can certainly see the grace of God in my family. My father is a very godly man a religious man, and uh, we were brought up not to be sectarian at all, although we grew up in quite difficult times to a certain extent. It's still a little bit like a divided society, you know, so your religion and your nationality and your culture were all bound up together, so it was a difficult thing to extricate. But certainly I remember an early experience where one day, I think I was about 11 years of age and I was in Mass, and I remember thinking to myself as I watched people go up and down to communion, one day I'm going to know him. One day I'm going to know God. Now, this is a strange mm. thought for an 11-year-old, but when I thought when that would be, the thought immediately came to me that when I have children, I never want the experience of a child of mine coming to me and saying, now, Dad, you tell me about God, and me having to say to them, I don't know, go and ask someone else. It was almost like I made a little promise to myself. I mm. would never say that to a child of mine. I would never send them to somewhere else. I must know by that stage if there is a God. I must know him by then, you know. And I forgot about that totally. But I actually came and stepped into this dimension of trusting him entirely within weeks of the birth of our first child. So it's almost like I forgot that prayer, but someone in heaven wrote it down, you know. <laughs> so, uh, to, to fast forward a little bit, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career. And so I I fell into my father's career. I just filled out the same forms where I'd end up doing what he was doing. And he was a veterinary surgeon. So I ended up 
1982, traveling to London, where I didn't know a soul, to begin training to be a veterinary surgeon. And cut a long story short, I met my wife there. And when I qualified, she qualified the year after me. And she started to work in England and we were planning to get married, but she fell ill with a disease which then was known as yuppie flu. Today, that would be called post-viral fatigue. It could be caused by any virus. And some people have even today would might call that long COVID or something like that, you know. But the way it affected her was she collapsed. Her system collapsed. She had no energy. She could only get up for an hour a day. She had pains up and down all over her body, quite dizzy, couldn't concentrate. She was invalided home and her father looked after her. And we kept thinking, well, we'll wait a few weeks. She'll get better if she rests up. Weeks turned into months and that turned into years, you know. So we we got married in 1989 in a Catholic church in Leicester in England. And I always remember the, the wedding was at one o'clock. Nicola was taken from her bed by bridesmaids at 11 o'clock. And they got her up, got her dressed, got her to the church. She walked extremely slowly up the aisle. We got married, went back to the hotel, had the meal, had the first dance, and she went to bed. And I stayed mm. up and enjoyed the rest of the wedding by myself. Oh my. So this, this illness continued for another two years. And then I said to her, because I was by that stage getting very frustrated working in England, I just felt I've made a mistake. This isn't for me. I was finding the job very stressful. I assumed it must be English people. I was finding stressful. <laughs> I said, Nicola, we're going home to Ireland. I'll work with my father. It'll be much better. Now, Nicola did not like the sound of that, but she had no choice because she'd lost her career. She'd lost her health. And now she was going back to Ireland to be absorbed into a large Irish family. And she felt she was losing her family as well. So within about two weeks of arriving in Ireland, this is 1991 by this stage, she one day in frustration, she took a taxi into the middle of the city of Derry and she uh, walked into a Christian bookshop and said to the man behind the counter, listen, do you have a book that will tell me the difference between Catholic and Pentecostal? Because my husband is Catholic and, and I I was brought up and went to a Pentecostal beach mission, you know. Well, the man behind the counter just opened up and, and shared the gospel with her and, and Nicola again felt the peace of God and, and uh, recommitted her life to Christ in that bookshop. She came out of it and she was like a totally different woman. Now, she was still ill. And then a very strange thing happened. About six weeks later, the man in the bookshop happened to go to a little Pentecostal church. And so she started to go there. And one evening, they announced that there would be a visiting minister come to give a talk, a traveling evangelist. So Nicola was given a lift to the meeting by a woman who asked her on the way to the meeting, what is the matter with you? And Nicola named four symptoms that defined her illness. And lo and behold, during the meeting, the minister had a gifting from the Holy Spirit and he, he operated in a, in a word of knowledge. And he simply said, listen, I really believe there's somebody here and you have, and he named exactly the same four symptoms. So Nicola sat there. She'd never been in a meeting like that, didn't know anything about it, didn't know what it meant. But at the end of the meeting, she went up to the minister and said, listen, what does this mean? That man was talking about me. And they gently said to her, well, uh, maybe it means God wants to touch you. God wants to heal you. Do you believe that? And she was so young and innocent in the Lord. She said, yes. <laughs> so uh, they laid hands on her and she felt the power of God come upon her. Felt like a heat lamp go all over her body, up one leg, down across her chest, down the other leg. And uh, really, she was totally healed. Uh, in that little church. She came home totally physically well. And now I, I didn't know what to make of that. And, and to be honest, for a few days, 
I didn't believe it until I could see that her energy was totally restored and she was mm. just a different person. So now I was living with somebody who was talking like the new God personally and was acting out the book of Acts, <laughs> a mm. walking miracle. So I watched her and I really had a great desire for the relationship that she seemed to know with God, especially her confidence, you know, because for 27 years growing up in the church, and this could be quite true of people growing up in a traditional Protestant church as well. But one thing I could not tell you is what God wanted for my life. I had no confidence at all that he can even tell you one thing about him. But I did have a big problem. He said, I really wanted what she had. But in our society, what she had sounded like she had become a Protestant. And uh, <laughs> so I said to the Lord, listen, here's the deal, right? I want what she has, but there's no way I'm becoming a Protestant. <laughs> so I reckon it took God 18 months to convince me that he doesn't see people, uh, particularly in the sort of way that we do, the sort of labels we use, you know, and that really it was a matter of stepping out in faith and trusting him. And so I did that then the following year and stood up in church and made that public confession of faith. And that began the next stage of the journey, as it were, where now I'm in an evangelical Pentecostal church and growing in faith, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward to 2004, where I'm actually called out and um, set aside as the pastor of that church. And then for the next eight years, myself and Nicola, we threw ourselves in to pastoring that church, doing everything that we had learned to do and thought was the right thing to do. We're looking after a second church as well. And it came to a point, and you asked this earlier, John, how does this all this link to coming into a revelation of the new covenant? Well, we, we got to about 2012, and there was an exodus from the church of a lot of the young people that we'd poured our lives into. Um, they really, for, for one reason or another, some of them wanted to move on, and others felt the same. And very quickly, we'd sort of lost a generation, our future sort of walked out the door and joined a new church that had started up in town. <laughs> so by this stage, this this was very, very difficult at the time, especially for Nicola. You know, I'm sort of like stiff upper lip, keep on going. But Nicola found this very traumatic because her heart had gone out uh, to these young people very much. And we really wondered what had we done wrong or, mm. you know, we'd worked so hard, we'd sacrificed so much. And at that time, the Lord began to speak to us because we were, we started crying out, really, what do you want us to do? And after a while, began to realize the Lord was saying to us, I don't want to talk to you about what you're doing. I want to speak to you about what you're believing. And the Lord showed me the elder brother standing in the field, you know, because my heart was, listen, a new church comes to town and takes all my hard work and does nothing for it. Uh, how does this work? I thought that I was being told that if I did all these things, then God would bless me. And look, I've done all these things. And, and what do I have to show for it? And the Lord showed me the elder brother standing in the field, crying to the father really about, where's my blessing? I, I, I'm the good boy. I'm the one stayed at home and, uh, and did everything I was told. This son of yours goes out and blows all the money and you throw a party for him. And the Lord showed me what the father had said to that elder, frustrated, disappointed son. He said, son, don't you know, but... You're always with me and everything I have is yours. And really over that year, it began to dawn on me that I was a minister in an evangelical church and I had no idea of my identity in Christ or who I was or what I had. And over the next few years, then we began like, like a detox. You know, we started listening to to the ministry of New Covenants, wherever we could find it. 
And it was like attaching yourself to a drip and it's slowly washing out a lot of the stuff from your system that had imbibed over the years, really, which amounted to, well, if you do this for God, he'll do that for you, you know? Yeah, what a message. You know, I'm listening to you, Phelan, and my mind goes back to the hearing Frank's testimony. And my friend, this is surprisingly like yours, isn't it? You reach the end <laughs> and you just, there's nothing. And you say, my goodness, is this all there is? And Father says, no, but uh, you're going to have to make some changes. Isn't that right, Frank? <laughs> yeah, Felon, the title of your book, Father I Never Knew, resonated with me because he knew me <laughs> and I was his child, but I didn't know what I had. And when he opens your eyes to it, you're never going down that path of religion again. You're ruined as a religious man, you know, mm. in a very real way because you now have found the true source of life and it'll just revolutionize everything you say, everything you do. You become a, addicted to Jesus in a way that uh, you never knew before. Yeah. Well, I was there yeah. to watch the way Frank's teaching ministry changed dramatically. And when I first met him, I thought he was an arrogant little cuss, just like me. <laughs> But I realized he had something I didn't have. And so, Phelan, I'd like to ask you, as you begin to understand the new covenant, Christ is your life, how did that change how you ministered? How did that change how you saw yourself, your wife, your children, your friends? Unpack that for us a bit, if you can. Yeah. Well, I think the way I expressed it in that little book, really, was that it seemed to me suddenly that every message I'd ever heard in the church boiled down to two words try harder and there are some scriptures that really ministered to me powerfully and still do and I, I hold on to them one of them is proverbs 13 12 which says hope deferred makes the heart sick but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life and so i find that really a lot of what i've been taught really was always deferring my hope to some future day you know it was if i just kept putting these principles into operation and kept praying and kept giving and kept doing, then one day, uh, one day soon, uh, everything would change, you know. Um, but that day never arrived. And, you know, and, and, and I could see, uh, I think I mean, the Apostle Paul felt so strongly for his Jewish brethren. His heart broke for them because he'd been there. He'd seen the burden of trying to produce life for yourself and how it would destroy you and twist you and, and what it will do to you, you know. So I think the way it has affected me most is I just can't get over and I don't want to get over mm -hmm. the joy of this message, you know. So, I mean, every Sunday we just preach the same message. It's a bit of a joke, really, you know. So we say to our people, listen, if you're coming here looking for seven principles to how to be a good Christian, you're in the wrong place because we don't preach you. <laughs> we preach mm -hmm. Christ. And that idea of Christ is our life. And I've almost had to try and find a language to express that from self-life to sun life, to be mm -hmm. able to disentangle that idea that I've been left by myself. Really, as far as I can see, as far as the father's concerned, he, by yourself is death. He's never had a by yourself life. He's always had a shared life, a communion, and that's what he invites us into. So the way I like to say it is that the angel Gabriel never asked Mary to produce Christ. <laughs> he just gave a promise that when the spirit comes, you will bear Christ. And so that's our promise too, you know, but yet the way the church tends to minister the gospel is made repentance into our work. And mm -hmm. it's almost like we're trying to slip something in there for you to do 
Because if we don't find something for you to do, I mean, the church will be out of business, really, you know. <laughs> I always like to say the gospel begets sons, but the law begets students. And so many dear people have been in church for years, learning, 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 learning. But yet at the end of that time, find, like I did in your heart, there'd be just as much fear, self-consciousness, self-centeredness as there ever was. Because his life in me, the, the selfless life, has never been allowed to grow because nobody's called it or spoken to me according to that life. They've all spoken to me after the old man. <laughs> they keep mm -hmm. resurrecting that old guy from the grave, you know. And so that's the reason, I think, for so much division in the church, because when we're trying to activate the works of the flesh for God, we're always going to fall out with each other. Wow. Can we pick that up from there? Of course we can. Uh, with Phelan's last comment, because I'd like to share a thought from Galatians and get his insight on that, okay, too. Okay, well, so we will reconvene, but dear ones, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. You've been joining an ongoing conversation between Pastor Phelan Doherty, Derry Ireland, and our own beloved Pastor Frank Friedman. So we trust that what you have heard has really ministered to you, touched your heart, if so, we invite you to go to our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Spend some time there. Look around. Lots of resources. Oh, and Phelan, if I may ask you to chime in very quickly, do you have a website for your church in Ireland that our listeners can seek you out there, maybe listen to some messages, as my wife Terry does? Yeah, well, I try and put up messages on every social media I can find, John. Yes. You know, you can go to, we have a YouTube channel, which started during the lockdown, and, and that's an excellent way to listen. River City Church, Ireland, if you look that up on YouTube. And I also have a, a website called The Father We Never Knew. If you put that into Google, that'll come up as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, sir. Well, while you're at Phelan Sites and while you're at our site, OurResoluteHope.com, contact us, pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. You heard Phelan reference his social media. We have those too. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, our own YouTube channel. And I just put up a whole mess of messages on Psalms and First Timothy there. So please check those out. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter six, that no matter what you're facing, and how dismal things look. We have an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope, Frank and I, and Phelan now call it a resolute hope, steadfast, immovable, bedrock, never, ever shifting. And that hope is a person, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.